Well, good morning, church family. So glad to be back here with you guys worshiping. Um, to all the dads out there, happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, that's today. So let's stand as we open with worship.
You may be seated. Well, fantastic. So may, may all creatures of our God and King praise Him. We have much to praise the Lord about. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of our affections. He is worthy of it all. And so especially today as we remember uh, fathers, we celebrate and are thankful for the gift of our fathers. It may not be a sweet time for you. There may be mixed in with difficulty there. But what we see in God, what we see in God our Father, is worthy of praise. So I want to read you a few verses from Deuteronomy as God led his people out of Egypt and led them out of slavery and brought them into the promised land and the people were terrified at what was before them. That God says this, Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. In the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. As the Lord carried his children, he shows us what fatherhood is to be. So fathers, dads, carry your kids. God has put you there to direct them to the Lord, to carry them, to fill them with what he has said. And just a few chapters later, he will tell us, that it is our responsibility as we're going in and we're going out that the word, the law of the Lord would be on our lips, that we would share it, we would teach it to our children, and that we would be captivated by the Lord and that we would direct our families to the same captivation of who God is. God is faithful. May we look to him today. May we be reminded of his fatherhood, of his goodness this morning. So if you're a visitor, we'd like to welcome you here uh, this, this morning. As you've, you're here with us, thank you. We are thrilled that you're joining with us. And we'd like to encourage you to look at the pew right in front of you. And there is a card that says Connection Card. And would uh, ask you, please, would you take that, fill that in, uh, share some information with us, drop that in the offering basket on your way out this morning. We'd have the opportunity to reach out to you, pray for you. See if there's anything we can do for you. would greatly appreciate that opportunity. And so this week, by way of announcement, the kids are going to camp. And so come Wednesday, the, uh, our children will be heading across the bay to camp for the week and would ask you to be praying for them, praying for the leaders who are there, who are teaching and sharing, that you uh, would pray for them, that they would be filled with God's word and would share uh, his word with them, and that God would bless our time together uh, this week. And so would encourage you to be, begin praying and be praying, especially if you have kids going or if you are going, uh, that you would join in prayer seeking the Lord's favor, that he would be with us this week. All right. So we uh, will not be meeting Wednesday night on campus due to kids camp because uh, of all hands on deck, and so we will be uh, taking this Wednesday night uh, off, and we'll resume uh, next Wednesday with uh, with our small group uh, discipleship on on Wednesday nights. So I want to make you uh, aware of that, and also let's look at our verse for the month. So Romans six twenty three is what we're looking at, and I hope you're familiar with it. But let's recite it one more time. So if you would read with me off the screen. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Simple one. Wages of sin is death, but God's free gift. What he freely gives. We do not merit, we do not earn, we couldn't. We couldn't merit and we couldn't earn his favor. But he is given in his son, Jesus. That we can be forgiven, we can be restored, we can have life because of what he has done. So I surely hope you've trusted in Christ and you know him. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are faithful in spite of us. That in the words just after these in Deuteronomy 1, your people were unfaithful. They did not believe your word, and yet you continued with them. You continued to guard them, to provide for them, to take care of them for generation after generation after generation. You were faithful to your promise, even when your people were not. And God, I thank you that you continue to be faithful to your promises, that you have sent your Son to be the Savior of the world, that by the gift of grace in your Son, we can be forgiven and given life from the death of our sin. And so, Father, would you, Lord, lead us this morning. God, may we hear from you in your word, that, God, you would draw us, Lord, to repentance, to turning away from sin, to turning away from desires and things that are destructive and that will bring death. May we recognize your faithfulness and your kindness that you have not judged us yet, that you've not called us to account, but that, Lord, you have stayed your judgment that we would find mercy in Christ. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? Would you turn us to you this morning? God, would you be with us and our families today that, God, this would be a day of rejoicing, this would be a day to remember who you are and your faithfulness, and that, God, we would have such reason and such cause to sing your praises and to glorify you as your creation with you being our king. I thank you and ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue to worship, as we sing to the God who is worthy.
no sound You died for your accusers And as your blood fell to the ground You redefined my future
Become your children. And when we turn to you, God, we are, we are your children, co-heirs with Christ. God, thank you for that gift. God, help us to, to stay focused on you, God, to worship you as, 
as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that whether we eat or we drink, we can do it to your glory. God, thank you for being the example of a father. The example of love that we need to have. God, I pray that we continue to chase after you. God, that we continue to, to look for ways to serve you. God, that we can remember that every good, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And all the good that we can do is from you. So God, thank you. God, I pray for Pastor Joel as he comes to bring the word, that you will give us ears to hear and, Lord, hearts to understand. God, that we can leave this building better equipped to be your church, that we can love those around us well. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning, and I uh, have a few things just to kind of say before we begin the message. One, uh, we are certainly glad to have Pam back with us after her surgery. It's uh, good to see you back. Hope you're feeling well. Uh, also, um, somebody, I keep getting asked, so uh, are you getting excited about uh, retiring next Sunday? And I'm like... And I'm going to use uh, Arkansas terminology because since I pastored in Arkansas for 17 years, I feel like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs right now, okay? I am scared to death. Uh, I've never not had a paycheck since I was 17 years old, and I don't know what it's going to feel like. And then somebody said, well, yeah, the government's going to pay you. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, many of you have said you won't be able to be here next Sunday. I knew that summertime is not a good time to have a celebration. And all that means is I get more watermelon. Okay? Uh, so that's what we're going to have next Sunday. We're going to come together and worship. Uh, we'll be uh, concluding with a message about Christ being our victor, uh, the Lord being our victor from the uh, con concluding chapter of the book of Isaiah. Uh, this morning, we'll be in chapter 63 and 64 a little bit uh, as we talk about Christ being or the Lord being our Father. Uh, do come next Sunday planning to stay for lunch because I, I didn't want a reception, so the receiving line is the feeding line, okay? I'm going to be standing there watching to see how much food you're putting on your plate, uh, and saying thank you and all that we do. Uh, and uh, I do also want to say a special uh, welcome. Uh, everybody is special. I know that. You, you are special. You're created in the image of God. Uh, but we have some distinguished young ladies that are with us today. As you know, Mobile uh, hosts uh, distinguished, distinguished young women of America, have been for as long as I've been around, and that's getting ready to be 65 years, uh, and uh, they're sitting up in the balcony right there, and it was a delight to meet these young ladies, and, and meeting them uh, could tell why they're a part of this. I hope we have the first time 
three-way winner, okay? And you all get your uh, scholarships that you need, and uh, if not, somebody will see you on television and say, I want one of these ladies to come to my university, and they'll pay your way fully, okay? Uh, amen? Uh, I, the, two of them play the piano, one of them plays the violin. I said, what, kind of, what genre of music do you play? And, and basically they were all uh, classical, and yet one of them is playing a song by ABBA. Now you figure that one out, okay? I mean, I, and some of you are going, who is ABBA? Okay, that was a singing group back in the 70s, all right? So uh, it's not in the classical genre of music is all I got to say. But uh, anyway, I will, uh, Betsy said to me, I have three distinguished young ladies. And I kind of looked at her funny and she said, wait a minute, I have four. Because Rachel is her distinguished young lady. Uh, all right, uh, let me invite you to Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 16. I'm going to reference verse 16 of chapter 63 and then verse 8 of chapter 64. And uh, we'll uh, talk about uh, God as being our Father. Isaiah 63, 16 says, For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from old is your name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. And Father, as we come to Holy Scripture, Lord, it is, these are ancient words that have life. They are from your very breath, and they are intended for us today as meaningful as they were to those who heard them the first time when Isaiah wrote them, and when you spoke them, and as it has been proclaimed and shared over the centuries, these are words that teach us the way of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, no greater privilege there is but to be able to call you our Father. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what is here. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, it's true that uh, there really is no uh, more precious thing to be able to say about our God and Creator, but to be able to call Him our Father. Uh, the words here sound a little bit strange in the fact that it says, though Abraham does not know us. Now, how can... I be a child of God in Isaiah's day and Abraham not know us. Uh, Israel does not acknowledge us. Because these last few chapters of the book of Isaiah are referring to our time. We have the Old Covenant and we have the New Covenant. Uh, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we come to these concluding chapters, it's specifically referring to the coming in of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And so it's very specific to us. Uh, I can remember uh, the year uh, 1978, and I don't remember the exact date, but it was Saturday before Father's Day. Uh, Janet, my wife and I, we were living in Dallas, Texas at the time. We were members of Oak Cliff Baptist Church uh, there in uh, just outside of downtown Dallas. 
and uh, I was serving as a bus captain. I was a student uh, in Dallas, and I was a uh, a bus captain. The church there sent buses out and picked up kids. And so what we did every Saturday is that we went by and we visited uh, in the homes uh, of those who uh, rode our buses. And I remember that day coming in and visiting with a young man uh, of a uh, Hispanic background. And when we were talking, he said to me, uh, my mother's not here. My mother is a Christian, but my dad is at home. But my dad is not a, he's not a, a Christian. He is not a believer. And can you talk to my dad? Now, I was well qualified to talk to his dad. His dad did not speak English, but I'd had two years of high school Spanish. So, man, I was ready for the task. I was not. But fortunately, I had some Christian literature that told who Jesus was and what he had done for us and what it took to become a child of God to be able to call him our father it was written in Spanish and I had a Spanish Bible with me and so at this young man's request he was a little 10 year old boy sweet as he could be he introduced me to his father Carlos and he said would you talk to my dad about how Jesus can become his savior and so I, I took that in best I could with my broken Spanish and I went through that little booklet with him, and there in that room, uh, his dad prayed and asked Jesus Christ to become his Lord and Savior. Now, I'll have to tell you, I was extremely doubtful. I, I thought, there's no way that this had happened. However, know that I had prayed and I'd asked the only one who can bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ for his help, and that was the Holy Spirit. Because no man comes to the Father except through the Son, but it takes the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to break the veil, to open the eyes, to speak to the heart, to take the truths of the Word of God and reveal them to us. And before I left, Mom had come home and she spoke very good English. And I told her what had happened and she began speaking with her husband. With tears in her eyes, she turned to me and she said, My husband has become a child of God. God is now her father. And I want to tell you, that's the sweetest thing that can ever happen. It's for you to be able to call God your father. There's actually only two references in the Old Testament where it says God is our father. Now, Matthew referenced a moment ago, uh, where it, it, it implies that God is our Father. But when it actually specifically says that He is our Father, there are only two references. I just read one of them to you. The other is found in chapter 64 and verse 8. It says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. Now, we are the work of Your hand. And so uh, there is in that this idea of, of God being our Father. Uh, Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord sh shows compassion to those who fear him. So there, there's no doubt but that the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, speaks of God as being our Father. But there's two different distinctions that are there. Uh, 
God is our Father. He's the Father of all human beings in the sense that He is our Creator. Uh, he is the Creator of mankind. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, a passage I know you're familiar with, it says, Let us make man in our image. So God created man in His own image. And in the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. So in that sense, everyone is a child of God. But uh, we know that we are in a different relationship with God. Though He is our Father by creation, we have become sinners by choice. Every single one of us, as we read uh, a moment ago, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners, we've all done, gone our own way, we've done our own thing, every single one of us. If somebody's asked uh, you dads, what kind of dad are you? You can answer like I answer. I have been a great dad. I only, have, I only see one smiling face, I think, out of the whole group. And I have been a horrible dad. And I've been everything in between, okay? And, and, and I think all of us dads could say that. That sometimes we've done well and that sometimes we have totally fumbled the ball. We have, uh, we've just smashed things up, made a mess of all things. And the reason is because we are all sinners, every single one of us. And if you don't believe in sin, then uh, one, you don't know yourself. Two, you're not observing what's going on around you. Man continues to prove over and over and over again that we are sinners. The things that we do to each other, the harm that we cause to one another, the things that we say, the prejudices that we all bear in our hearts, the unkind words that come out of our lips. Even though God made everything, Acts chapter 17 says, uh, it says Paul at uh, Athens, he's speaking to the scholastic crowd of uh, Greek scholars there when he's in Athens. He says, God who made the world and everything that is in it, verse 26 says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of all the earth and then he quotes in verse 28 of that chapter one of their uh, own poets. He says, in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being and we are indeed his offspring. But he goes on to say in verse 30, but because of our sin, we must repent. He says, God commands that all people everywhere to repent. That is to turn from doing things our own way and turn to God and His way and to Himself. And He tells us why in verse 33 there, uh, pardon me, verse 31. He says, because God has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man. And who is that man? That man is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom He has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How do I know he's going to be the one that judges me? Because the Father raised him from the dead. 
So there's an accountability that is coming, not only to fathers, but to every human being. So I think we need to understand God is our father by creation, but the better question is, is God our father by redemption? There is this general sense that he's our father by creation, but there is only a special sense in which he is our father by uh, redemption. And if he's not our savior, then all we will meet in God is condemnation. If God has not become our savior, there is a, an accountability. There is a righting of all injustice. There is a reckoning of all unrighteousness. And I know we live in a, in a culture today that, again, we, we cry out for justice. And, and the reality is we really don't want justice for ourselves. We just want justice for everyone else that has done wrong. Because we justly deserve a life and eternity of separation from God. But God in His mercy has offered to us redemption through His Son. And therefore, uh, He will give justice to those who have refused His Son. So the scripture here in Isaiah 63, 16 says, He is our Father. He is our Redeemer. And God does this, he says in this same chapter in Isaiah 63, uh, verse 5, he says, I have brought this redemption, I have brought this salvation by my own arm. This isn't something you and I can do. Uh, we, we, we can't pay our way, we can't earn our way, we can't work our way back to God, or we would try to do it. And uh, we do sometimes. Uh, I can remember... Uh, as many of you can, of uh, uh, at times doing the best that you can in order to please God, to earn His favor, and then at other times just giving up, saying, well, you know, I can't do enough. Uh, Christ is our salvation. He is our Redeemer. But He redeems us, why? Because of His great love. And He records this again in Isaiah 63, and verse 7, he says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord. God says, I have by my arm brought salvation. And it comes out of the steadfast love of the Lord. This is that covenant word again. This is that word of God's covenant faithfulness. Out of the love and loyalty that he has. Sent his son to die on the cross. He invites us into a loving covenant relationship with him and the covenant is a promise that you and I can't break that God makes with us that comes through faith by his grace and uh, we enter into that steadfast love of God again in verse 7 he goes on to say he granted it to them or to us according to his compassion and remember that word compassion in the Old Testament, uh, that special Hebrew word is the, uh, comes from the idea of a mother's womb when God talks about his compassion. Uh, God in his tenderness, God in his 
love and compassion. And then according to the abundance, and here's our word again, of his steadfast love, verse 8 says, he became our Savior. Our Savior. And so today, I don't want to presume that everybody in this room, even though, uh, you know, somebody asked me the question earlier, or made the comment rather, uh, isn't it interesting that on Mother's Day we pack the house and then on Father's Day there's hardly anybody here? Well, you know, my two granddaughters called me this morning, wished Grandpa Happy Father's Day. Well, guess where my son was? He was in bed asleep, okay? I, I said the reason why it's that way because fathers want to go play golf, they want to go fishing, they want to go do all this other stuff on Father's Day. And so I guess that's why... Father's Day has such a low uh, crowd on it, but not our Father. Our Father doesn't take a hiatus from his relationship with his children. Uh, Notice it says he lifted them up and carried them all their days. So uh, like Adam and Eve, uh, we have all sinned. Uh, Genesis 3 records it. Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and The scripture says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They went and hid. Why did they hide? They were ashamed. I'm ashamed of my sin. They were ashamed of their sin. And God comes to them out of this love and loving kindness and his faithfulness to us and his compassion. And what does he say to Adam and Eve? He asked them a question. He says, where are you? And again, you know this. He doesn't ask them because God is unaware. God knows everything. He knows the words we're going to say before we say them. He knows the thoughts we're going to think before we think them. Why did God say this? Because he wanted Adam and Eve to know why they were hiding. Where are you? Lord, we hid ourselves because we realized that we were naked. We've lost something. Something that we had. We've lost it. It's paradise lost, as uh, John Milton wrote it, and then paradise regained that comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, they say we, we know that we are naked. And then we have those, those uh, uh, words that tell us about the nature of our humanity apart from Christ. Verse 7 of Genesis 3 says they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And uh, what are they doing? They're again trying to cover themselves up in the same way we try to cover ourselves with good works. Now see, that's not the fatherhood of God. That's father as our creator, not father as our redeemer. But in verse 21 of that same chapter in Genesis 3, it says, And God, God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. We mentioned this last week. What a shock that must have been to Adam and Eve. For God who created all things to do what? To do something that to us and... Uh, you know, I, I know our, our distinguished young ladies are not from the South. I told them, I said, I am a redneck and I can't help it, okay? Yeah, we, uh, uh, we, we eat cows here in the South, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know what God did? God killed an animal. God killed an animal. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, it's, a, it's an ugly sight. It's bloody. 
God kills an animal and takes their skin and clothes Adam and Eve for it. And it's a forward looking to what was going to happen a few thousand years in the future where God was going to take his precious lamb, his son, Jesus Christ, and he would become the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And, and John would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he would be crucified and as the substitute for us in the same way that we looked last week about Abraham and Isaac. And a ram caught in the thicket that took the place. God will provide and he provides. It's interesting when it says God made. I, I looked up the word made there in the Hebrew and it's the word to fashion, it's the word to work. God did something. God does the work of salvation. You cannot do it. Stop it. I, 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 you know, I, I know I've only got this Sunday and next Sunday. And my heart. My heart is the same as the writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, who said, I preach justification by faith every Sunday because every week my people forget it. And we do. We get busy in the busyness of life and we forget that we can't earn our way it is a gift of God's grace it's by his mercy that we are saved and here Jesus is reminding us of God is reminding us through his word he works for us a clothing through his son Jesus Christ we are clothed in his righteousness because of the work God has done you and I enter that, enter into that by grace through faith. There's a call from God that you and I respond to and we're graced and helped by the Holy Spirit to enter into that. When you hear the voice of God speak into your heart, respond, yield, rest, trust, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I hate to reference you three young ladies yet again. I apologize for doing this. One of them is from uh, Nevada, from Las Vegas. One's from Idaho, and the other's from Kansas. By the way, the fastest I've ever driven was in Kansas. You guys have the longest and straightest roads I've ever seen. And uh, one, one night we were driving through all night going to uh, Estes Park in Colorado and Janet was asleep, my son was asleep and I just flat out broke the law. I mean, I'm going 110 miles an hour. You know, and boy was it fun. <clears throat> anyway, I don't know why I said that. I was going to reference you guys, okay. Um, in that... I know that our whole culture, our, our whole nation is divided right now. It's unfortunate that we're divided politically. Because our division is not a political division. 
Because it doesn't matter whether you go to Idaho or New York or if you go down to Leticia, Columbia, where we were a few years ago, and then right up the river to Dulce Octobre. I was trying to remember the name of the little village we went to. When you meet somebody there or wherever it is, they're either a person who has God only as their creator or they have God as their creator and their redeemer. And our goal is to share the goodness of the grace of God in Jesus Christ so that people can come to have this redemptive relationship with Jesus. So that as Jesus said, as he taught people to pray, remember what he said? Say this, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Everyone who is born again has been regenerated By the Holy Spirit and God is their father of redemption. Their father of redemption. Anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ is guilty of offending the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the God of redemption is also the God of our adoption. And I want to conclude with Five simple points. And I want to talk about God being the God of our adoption from a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans. You'll be very familiar with it. Our adoption by God, God calling us to salvation, regenerating us by the Holy Spirit, you placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because He has gifted you and graced you to do so, Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He brings us into the work of God. God did the work. You come into it. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever built your own house. I, uh, uh, my, my doctor's father-in-law uh, uh, bought a piece of land down outside of uh, Robertsdale, on the uh, southwest side of Robertsdale, uh, many, many, many years ago. And he cut down trees on the property, and he planed those trees, and he built his own house out of the trees that came for it. And I look at a guy like that and go, wow, what a man, you know? Man, I, I... You know, I can't even make a house of cards. (laughs) And uh, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's done the work. Jesus said, I died on the cross for your sin. He, He has done the work of salvation. And so all of us who have been led by the Spirit into Christ... We are resting in the work of God. But secondly, adoption brings us into the warmth of God. Because the outside of Christ, you have a very skewed view of God. And even in Christ, if you are a believer, there are times that our view of God can become skewed. Where we see God in a totally wrong light. 
But notice what it says in verse 15 of Romans 8. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, you know, giving your life to Jesus Christ doesn't handcuff you. You are already handcuffed, right? Coming into Christ to be his child breaks that. But you now have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry what? Abba. Father, Daddy, there's a warmth to it. There's a familiarity with God where God envelops you with His grace and with His love. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we know that we are in His family. We are His and we belong to Him by His grace. But there's a third truth that is in this passage in Romans 8 where he says adoption brings us into the witness of his spirit notice what it says in verse 16 and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God uh, there there comes this I know someone asks you how can you know that you have eternal life? How can you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Look at you. Well, boy, if you look at me, I can tell you I am hell bound. All right? Did the preacher really say that? Yeah, he really said that. And I really mean that. If you were to look at me and look at my life, you would go, wait. Okay, if we were to take the 7.5 billion people on the face of the planet, yeah, maybe he'll fall in the top. You know, two billion, I don't know, as far as goodness is concerned. We're not saved by our goodness. We're saved by grace, and because we are saved by grace, there comes with it a guarantee, a down payment, as it were, as the book of Ephesians says, and it is the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell within you. Because you may be sitting there and ask, how do I know that I know that I belong to Christ? There is a witness that comes within. You can't put your finger on it. You can't put it in a test tube and, and examine it. There's, there's no experiment for you to follow. And there are some people who say, well, I know I'm a child of God. Because Hebrews chapter 12 says, and every one of his children he disciplines. And boy, I'm getting beat up by God all the time. And what sometimes we're mistaken is, is the consequences of sin. It's not the discipline of God. You see, the discipline of God is a word that is used, uh, it's, it's, we get our English word pedagogy from, for all you teachers. It means the, the method of teaching. And, and what God does is He trains us as children. He trains us as children. The way that you know that you are a child of God is there's this witness of the Holy Spirit within you. And that witness of the Holy Spirit, there's this constant training of Christ within your soul. You can't get away from it. Praise God. He holds tightly unto you. And then fourthly, adoption brings us into the wealth of God. Brings us into the wealth of God. And if children, then heirs... And heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But then he puts a little caveat here. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You remember Jesus said all that live godly in Christ Jesus will 
suffer persecution. Remember, Paul said, it is through many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom of heaven. I can remember as a 14-year-old when I uh, heard the gospel from a football player from the University of Alabama and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I think he told me, somebody there at that uh, uh, Christian athlete meeting told me, you know, now you're going to have the best life in the world. And they were right. But I thought that meant all your problems are going to be gone. You know, Christ is at the center of your life. You know, I remember in being discipled, using a wheel and talking about if you've got Christ at the center of it, then the wheel turns very wonderfully. You know, it's not out of balance. Just keep it all together and you won't have any problems. You know, and and, and yet when you look at Jesus, Jesus just says, man, if you're going to follow me, just get ready. You're going to suffer tribulation. Say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you want people to come, not go. No, you got to come with your eyes wide open. To know that following Christ is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of discipline. It's a, it's a life of being trained by Him. If you are children... You do come into the wealth of God and you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a concept that I don't know that you and I can grasp. You and I have the same privileges that the Son of God has, that the Lord Jesus has. And yet, the way that is worked out is through suffering, through trials, through hardships, through difficulty. Adoption brings us into the wealth of God. And then lastly, adoption brings us into the ways of God. Then I'm going to go back and read the first two verses of this passage in Romans 8. Verses 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you put to deeds the Uh, put to death rather the deeds of the body then you live so you see it becomes this evidence that you belong to Christ not only the witness of the Holy Spirit within not only the reality that he is going to train you but we will also know that we belong to him because we will obey him that's what he calls us to is a life of obedience the ways of God are not the ways of man Jesus said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, give them the other. I was meeting with a guy Thursday night. He's, he's a Christian. I dare not, I don't know that I ought to even say that. My wife is shaking her head, no, you shouldn't say that. I'm amazed by the number of people who call themselves Christians who talk about uh, using uh, weaponry against other people. Okay? Non-believers. Who say, I'm going to go hurt somebody. I'm going to go kill somebody. You know, I don't like that person. I don't like their position. I don't like the way they look on something. You see, that's not, that's not the way of Christ, is it? Uh, no, it's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is, for God so loved the world that he gave. He taught us that. If, if someone strikes you on the cheek, Give them the other also. And you say, I can't do that. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You can't do that apart from Christ. 
But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We all struggle with this sinful nature that we have and we have to bring it to the cross again and again. Jesus said to those who were religious, who professed to know Christ, our God, he said um, uh, about them, if God were your father, John chapter 8, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from the Father and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. And Why do you not understand what I say? And then he tells us why we don't understand what he says. It's because you cannot hear or bear to hear my word. You see, the reality is when we begin to think in terms like that and continue to go down those horrible pathways and call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and yet again and again and again exhibit that we don't belong to Jesus, we're liars and the truth is not in us. So the Lord Jesus said, whoever hears my word, those are the children of God. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. So God is calling us to be people who have heard the word of God because the Holy Spirit of God has given it to us. And your name may not be Carlos, and the interpreter. Uh, certainly would not be me. It has to be somebody else as it was that day back in 1978. When the gospel was being shared, it took the interpreter of the Holy Spirit to speak to Carlos's heart. And Carlos heard that Christ had died for his sin and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he was saved. And he became a new man. He became a new dad in his home. All the things that his whole family was transformed because dad became a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because everything changes. And he's your Lord. and He's your Savior. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we, we do thank you that you have reached out to us. And Lord, we have, we have been religious and we have tried to reach out to you and, and yet you have graced us by the Holy Spirit of God and by your word to speak to our hearts, to tell us there is no good thing that we can bring but to the cross is what we are to cling, to come to Jesus and to Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be saved and our lives will be transformed. They'll be made new and we will be continually conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we do sin against you, Lord, there's, there's a witness within us and there's a training within us that brings us uh, to the Savior to say that we must confess our sin, we must repent of our sin, and we must renew our obedience 
to the one who has loved us because we love him. And the one that we love, we love because he first loved us. And so, Father, I pray in this moment as we give a public response to the message of of not only Isaiah, the message not only of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and know that we will have life eternal both here and hereafter by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.